Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, the 2018 Minnesota Teacher of the Year joins Outfront Minnesota. More than $200,000 in grants aimed to help Native tribes improve early childhood development statewide and the new Golden Gopher ticketing program. But first... It was no surprise that partisan finger-pointing flared up again at the state capitol this week after preliminary health insurance premium numbers for 2020 were released. MN's Bill Werner joins us. Bill, was it good news or bad news, not for the politicians, but for the people who pay the premiums? Well, fairly good news, I would say, Scott. The state Commerce Department gets to approve or reject the numbers, but on average, HMOs and other insurers are proposing from a 1.4% drop to a 4.8% increase in health insurance premiums for 2020 on the individual market. Now, the starting point for the continuing political debate is what is called reinsurance. That is when the state picks up the cost of health insurance for the most seriously ill Minnesotans with the goal of holding down increases in everyone else's premiums. Reinsurance is something Republicans pushed through over the objections of Mark Dayton when he was governor and also opposition from current Governor Tim Walz. It is the third straight year reinsurance has been used in Minnesota. And for the most part, it's worked to hold down premium increases, and Republicans are, needless to say, claiming credit. But that's only the tip of the iceberg in the health care debate at the state capitol. Here's the opening volley from Representative Ann New, Deputy Republican Minority Leader of the Minnesota House. Prior to our Republican policies, we were seeing double-digit increases. And in addition, insurers were leaving the market. There were areas where people could not get insurance. We've seen that turn around. I think this is a good thing for Minnesotans. The proposals that the Democrats were bringing forward, we were going to see skyrocketing rates again. They resisted reinsurance to the bitter end of session. The Democrats did not want to do this. But in the end, they gave in, and now we're seeing the fruits of that. House Democratic Majority Leader Ryan Winkler has a different view of reinsurance. Writing a blank check to insurance companies will help to keep premiums down, but it is not sustainable for Minnesota taxpayers. The alternative that the Democrats in the House and Governor Walls proposed would actually create a public option for health insurance, including negotiating down prescription drug prices for all Minnesotans. Winkler is referring to Governor Tim Walz's plan to expand eligibility for Minnesota Care, the state-run health insurance program, by allowing any Minnesotan to enroll regardless of income. The argument is the state, with an even larger purchasing pool of people seeking health care, would be able to negotiate better rates for health insurance premiums. Deputy Republican Leader Ann New disputes that. These Democrat policies that were proposed We were going to see massive increases in the cost of health care, tens of millions of dollars just in setup costs without a single person receiving insurance and health care. That's a problem. You know, those, those proposals were going to do nothing to bring down the cost of care. Not only that, they were going to destroy our rural health care system. You know, the, the reality is Minnesota Care does not reimburse hospitals for the actual cost of care. So, so when we are expanding that program, our rural hospitals are going to cease to exist. They're not going to be able to absorb those additional costs. 
it'll be a disaster for our health care system. Democratic Majority Leader Winkler responds. First of all, uh, we would not pass any uh, public program that would put rural hospitals out of business. We do have a health care cost issue, and we have to negotiate lower costs all through the system to make it affordable. Ultimately, uh, families and consumers and the taxpayer through public programs are all in the same boat. We need lower costs in health care. And the advantage of a public option is it creates an opportunity to negotiate those lower prices and cut out administrative costs or insurance. Deputy Minority Leader News says Republicans are already doing what Winkler says must be done, but without expanding government programs. Certainly, we need to look at, we need to continue to look at things that will actually bring down the cost of health care. And we did some things this last session. Hopefully, that will do that. We did some things regarding transparency. We did some things regarding pharmacy benefit managers. We hear a lot about the cost of prescription drugs. Um, We did some things to start changing the cost of the actual health care. Democratic Majority Leader Winkler responds. Creating reform and transparency for pharmacy benefit managers is absolutely critical. But Republicans aren't the ones who did it. Those ideas uh, have been around the Capitol for a while, but they didn't come into fruition until Democrats took over the state house and we uh, elected a Democratic governor. Then Republicans knew that they would be in a bad spot politically if they didn't act, and then they agreed with us to take those actions. I do agree that they're that they are good first steps, um, but far far more is needed. And ultimately, we need the the negotiating power of a large public health care option to bring down those costs. So we can see, Scott, that despite the health care compromise that Republicans and Democrats hammered out this past legislative session, stark differences remain in their approaches to health care cost containment. And at some point, at least if Minnesota voters continue to choose divided government at the state capitol, those differences will have to be worked out. Thank you, Bill. Minnesota Matters returns after this. So you see, son, good manners are very, very important. Someday, many years from now, when you're a grown-up, you'll be a man. And when you are, you should be a gentleman. Do you want me to go through it one more time? Yes. Yes, please. Yes, please. Exactly. Always say please, thank you, you're welcome, and excuse me. Sit up straight, hold doors open for ladies. If a door's shut, then knock first. Don't burp, don't swear, don't speak with your mouthful, don't reach across people's plates, keep your elbows off the table. What table? And don't interrupt. While we're at it, don't stare, don't use foul language, don't call people names, but do remember people's names. Always share your toys, play nice, and cover your mouth when you cough or sneeze. On the bus, give up your seat to anyone who has trouble standing. Bottom line, treat others the way you'd like to be treated. Got it? Got it. And stop picking your nose. Most parenting is hard to do in just two minutes. But spending just two minutes twice a day making sure they brush their teeth is easier and could help save them from a lifetime of tooth pain. For fun two-minute videos to watch while brushing, visit 2min2x.org. That's 2min2x.org. A message from the Partnership for Healthy Mouths, Healthy Lives, and the Ag Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. 2018 Minnesota Teacher of the Year Kelly Holstein is now working with the LGBTQ civil rights group Outfront Minnesota to help educators decrease inequity and increase inclusivity in schools. I recently chatted with Holstein about her efforts to make sure all kids feel comfortable in the classroom and elsewhere. Well, I really feel like there are a lot of key players and key stakeholders that need to be involved in that process. And it's very similar to the folks that are involved in educational equity um, in general. 
So, you know, working with the youth, working with adults who work directly with youth, but also involving educational policymakers, educational leaders and groups, and community members and groups, so that everyone is on board and feels supported and has the information they need so that we can, you know, continue to create safe environments for every kid in Minnesota. And tell me a little bit, I know it can be hard to generalize with something like this, but how much of a concern or an issue is this statewide in Minnesota? Uh, It's a gigantic issue in Minnesota. Um, I can speak both uh, anecdotally with my own personal experience, but I can also speak with um, statewide because of all of the individual educators that I've met with across the state. Um, If you look at the national statistics, LGBT youth are five times as likely to commit suicide than heterosexual youth and are, uh, you know, the CDC just put out a report of the trans students that they interviewed and surveyed that 35% of them had attempted suicide within the last year. Um, and in, in my own experiences, I did have a student who was an out lesbian who, uh, who killed herself. And I've had at least a dozen other LGBTQ students who have attempted suicide. Um, throughout my 12 years of teaching. And I've, you know, I've been the advisors uh, of GSAs, um, which, you know, used to be called Gay-Straight Alliances that are now called um, Gender Sexuality Alliances. Um, and so I've worked directly with LGBTQ youth in three different school districts. And it is really, really hard for these students to feel safe and supported. Uh, and if you don't feel safe and supported, it's difficult to get into your learning brain. You can't get your credit. And it's, you know, difficult then to get your high school diploma um, and just to be able to function in society. Um, I used to be a case manager with kids who had dropped out of high school. And you, it's so hard to get any sort of employment or housing when you don't have a high school diploma. So I, I believe strongly that we need to make our schools and our classrooms safe places for every Minnesota student so that they have the opportunity to be successful. In terms of getting Minnesota educators on board with this uh, and some of these changes to move things in the right direction, what are what are some of the uh, biggest barriers you anticipate facing or that you came across yourself as an educator? I think sometimes there's just a, a lack of understanding of what equity means. Um, I think there can be a perception from the community and from some educators that it means that like certain kids get certain things Um, and that other ones are left out. And I think it's just making sure that folks know that equity is finding out what every kid needs and getting it for them. Um, And that equity benefits every student. It also benefits educators because if you're using strategies to promote equity in your classroom, students feel more comfortable. It makes it a lot easier to discipline. Uh, It makes the community happier and healthier. And then everyone is is quite a bit more productive. I'm curious, Kelly, are there elements of this that would, uh, that would filter towards uh, legislation or changing the way things happen that legislators would possibly make change for educators throughout the state? Yes, absolutely. And one of my goals is to continue the relationships I've been building with legislators, both locally and statewide and nationally, um, to keep those conversations going, to talk about you know, how do we make sure that we have, that kids can see themselves in the curriculum, that they can see themselves in their schools, that uh, kids feel safe, that, you know, that LGBTQ kids are learning about their own experiences when they're in a sex ed class so that they can also be healthy. 
uh, and that, you know, students are learning from LGBTQ authors, that they're learning about LGBTQ history. Um, and it really, a lot of the strategies to uh, promote LGBTQ, you know, inclusivity is are very similar to, to strategies to make sure that every kid feels seen and heard and that they matter. Uh, kids with disabilities, kid, you know, different races, different religions, um, different mental health statuses, different um, statuses of whether people are with, with homes or without homes, um, you know, all of the things that make us unique humans, the strategies that we're using to to make folks feel inclusive will benefit every kid. And if we have students out there, kids out there in the LGBTQ community who are maybe struggling or they have issues in school, what would your message to those folks be? I, I really want them to know that there's hope. I want them to know that there are so many educators in our state and so many policymakers and educational leaders who do really care about every single kid, and they really care about bringing equity. And so it's just knowing that, you know, as adults, we're working really hard to find each other and to help each other create these environments so that students feel safe and so that they feel that they matter. Thank you to my guest, Minnesota's Teacher of the Year 2018, Kelly Holstein, who's now working with the civil rights group Outfront Minnesota. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Last month, more than $200,000 in grant funding was awarded to 10 Native American tribes and nonprofits in Minnesota. Reporter J.W. Cox talked with Patrice Kunish, a researcher at the Federal Reserve Bank of Minneapolis specializing in Indian country development. She detailed what the funding will mean for early childhood health and development statewide. Kunish called it a concerted effort, the bringing together of several partners, including the Shakopee, Midwakanton, Sioux, and the Better Way Foundation that made the Healthy Children, Healthy Nations Fund a groundbreaking first-of-its-kind program. This is very unusual to have this sort of consortium of partners. You know, the Shakopee have been incredibly hard-driven around healthy communities, and so I give them not just big kudos because of their their generosity, but really their leadership. Better Way has come in, and they have made a very deliberate, intentional commitment to focus on Native children. I think they're really changing the perspective on, on philanthropy. I am so excited that we really get to reach our, our Native kids, our earliest learners, and really do some community-focused investment. If you were going to paint a broad strokes picture of how this money is going to be used, how would you describe that? In general, how is this money going to be put to use? What problem is it going to be addressing and trying to help solve? I don't know if I look at it as problems as much as I think of enriching our people. So, for example, several of our grants are for language, Dakota language, Ojibwe language, and language is such a has tremendous power. It's it's about culture. It's about identity. And when we apply it to our earliest learners, it builds resiliency. So a couple of our other awards really get to historical trauma and really trying to create some wholesomeness around um, identity and, uh, and, and Indianness. So 
I think the the Healing Gardens, for example, the project that we have with the American Indian Community Housing Organization to do some innovative interventions to um, to address historical trauma. I think those are, are being community led are going to be very impactful. How far down the road can these funds specifically put these communities in terms of the overall effort to strengthen childhood development and nutrition across these communities? We really hope that this is a, a launching point, not a not a one and done type of thing. Another part of the the overall work is seeds of native health, and that's another one of Shakopee's marvelous programs that looks at health from a, a whole systems perspective, mental health and and physical health, emotional health. When we when we think of these small grants, we really want to plant seeds that are going to grow and develop and blossom into something more. And and a lot of these were very innovative grants. These had not been done before, had not been tried before. And what we were looking for is we were looking at the the overwhelming response is that the communities really wanted to try something different and really get a good handle on, okay, we've got this and, and let's develop it. So, for example, we have Prairie Island Indian Community, and they have a really neat, innovative, youth-focused program on Dakota language. It's sort of language on demand. And the kids are really picking it up and uh, sharing it with each other. And this was to help them have a teacher around to help support that everyday language. So you can go to school and you can go to a class and learn Dakota language or Ojibwe language. But when it's around you constantly, it's just a whole different feeling. Another one of these is the Lower Sioux Indian community who has just opened up, well, maybe uh, six months ago or so, the early Head Start and Head Start facility. So this is a complete language immersion program. And it's not just for the children, the tiny ones like two and three and even earlier than that. The whole entire staff are going to be bilingual in Dakota. So they're trying new different things and they're trying to really incorporate this into the fiber and fabric of of the program. So we're hoping that these are just little seeds that are going to be embedded and grow and flourish well beyond the first year here. What has to happen to make it that this is just, as you mentioned, the launching point and that this momentum continues to go for more of these grants and more of this funding for these types of programs in the future? What are you looking for among those organizers of this that needs to happen to make sure it can continue? We have a, a lot of faith in all of these organizations. Many of these organizations, such as the Minnesota Indian Women's Resource Center, are very much a part of the community. So we know that they are sincere and they're absolutely committed to the community. But when we look at the overarching objective here, which is early childhood development, we know that for every dollar spent on early childhood development, and that could be focused on the child or on the support system, that could be teachers, parents, whatever, that supports early childhood development, we have almost a $16 return on that $1 investment. So we know that our investments now have enormous future social benefits. The payoff, we know, will be pretty phenomenal. It supports the overall 
family, supports the overall child. You know, we're trying to get at it from health care and nutrition. We're trying to get at it from education. But when you think about the social benefits, ultimately we want to reduce all these other sort of negative things that come across from sort of lack of care. So we're just planting the seeds right now, and I I think once we get the adults on board and and supporting our kids, we're going to see a real rich growth in the community, in the family, and in the child. More information can be found at seedsofnativehealth.org. Scott, back to you. Thank you, JW. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Unexpected reactions to smart financial decisions brought to you by FeedThePig.org. Well, I finally did it. I opened a 401k. So you're giving up. Just like that. Giving up on what? I'm getting an inheritance from a distant relative. Don't you think if there were a billionaire in the family, we'd know about it by now? Listen to me. We are one phone call away from riding horses on our own private polo grounds. One call from christening yachts, having a butler, using summer as a verb. How do you figure? Look, everyone's got a rich uncle somewhere. It's statistics. So the best thing you can do is just prepare for the inevitable. Right, which is why I thought maybe it would be smart to take control of my finances. You know, start using a budget, get out of debt, set some retirement goals. Budgets? Debt? You watch your mouth. Retirement shouldn't be a goal for us. It should be a way of life. When it comes to financial stability, don't get left behind. Get tools and tips for saving at feedthepig.org. This message brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The U of M this week introduced a unique new season ticketing option for Golden Gopher football home games. MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm sat down with the U of M's Assistant Director of Marketing, Mike Wiersbicki, to discuss the new way fans can go to every home game in a simple, affordable, and electronic manner. All right, Mike, we have a brand new ticketing option for Gopher football fans called the Gopher Pass. Tell us about it. Yeah, we're excited. I think uh, in today's day and age, you know, we're always looking at how can you recruit new fans? How can you get people in the stadium every single week? And um, being a little bit more mobile, being a little bit more cutting edge in technology is a huge piece of that. So the Gopher Pass, uh, monthly subscription opportunity, $49 a month, get you access to all seven home games at TCF Bank Stadium uh, can also just pay at one time for one ninety nine uh, becomes the most inexpensive ticketing option at TCF and uh, a really cool opportunity where it's delivered right to your mobile device. You get it a couple days before the game, can link up with friends, uh, and it rotates you around the stadium. So for some games you might sit uh, in the West Plaza area, some games you might be in a corner. Um, so you're gonna have different views each week. Um, and then the only thing coming back is if we sell out a game, you get access in, so you can hang out in the West Plaza, enjoy the game near the video board. Um, so you don't necessarily have a seat each week, but you have an opportunity to get in the game no matter what. And it's a, it's a convenience factor. I would guess that this is also for people that maybe uh, are on a budget that, that don't necessarily need all the frills that a normal season ticket holder, some of the premium uh, places might have uh, in, in store for them at TCF Bank Stadium. Oh, for sure. And I think that's the thing you see from people who are coming out to a game. Um, you might not want to sit the same place every week. You want to maybe come with a different group of friends that, that you and I can link up one week, Mike, and then I've got family coming in and we link our passes ahead of time and then we all sit together two weeks later. So you have that 
that flexibility to really customize it to you, which I think is something so important today's day and age. And then at the end of the day, you're paying $28 a game for Big Ten football. Um, it's tremendous. And I think for us, you know, there, there's a difference. And, and obviously our season ticket holders, the lifeblood of our program, um, you're not going to get the same benefits as a season ticket holder with access to the loyalty program and, and parking options. But you're getting something different for you that really fits you and your lifestyle, gets you into our pipeline, gets you coming to games and enjoying the great atmosphere that we have uh, here at Go For Football and something that we can build, build on going forward too. What's logistically, how does it work? If I'm a member of the subscription now, the, the Gopher Pass, when do I find out each week where I get to sit? Yeah, that's perfect. It's really simple. So it just attaches right to your mobile device, um, and you get a text message. It says, great, hop right in a couple days before the game. Um, so it's really as simple as possible. You just click on that link, and you grab it. You can store that right in your Apple wallet, your, your Google Play, um, and have it right there stored in your phone. So it's really customizable. You don't have to go find it somewhere. You don't have to dig through your emails. It's really texted right over to you. Um, it's easy as easy as possible. And so I think the only thing to recommend is beforehand, if you want to link up with friends or sit together with others, you just need to do that beforehand. It's automatically ingrained in your account. So that way, when the tickets are pushed out to you, you guys are all linked together. Then how does it work in regard to the seat selection? I'm assuming it has to do with available inventory and what seats are are available at at the time that these assignments are handed out? Yeah, exactly. So we pretty much handle that on the back end for you. So really, you are pushed that location, and that's what you receive. There's nothing that you have to go in and pick. Um, Our ticket office staff handles that, and there's a nice algorithm that we can kind of pull from our available inventory and say, great, here's the tickets that you get as being a Gopher Pass member. So it's extremely easy, and I think for us, the demographic we're going for, um, we're not trying to make it hard. We want to make it as easy as possible to come to a game so we deliver that right to you you don't have to worry about anything speaking of full season tickets um, can you give us kind of a summertime update on how that's going for go for football and um, uh, I know they're still on sale if people still want that opportunity what is the benefit from say like a gopher pass to okay I'm a full-fledged season ticket holder what benefits do I get yeah the biggest one and this is something we're still very proud about is, is the gopher loyalty program so that's a program we launched about two years ago that all of our season ticket holders have access to and it's a program really designed about you and customization and flexibility so rather than saying hey Mike thanks for being a season ticket holder We're going to mail you a sticker and a license plate holder. No, we give you this full benefit of options that you can pick from that, great, you want to come and have coffee with Athletic Director Coyle, or you want to come and stand in the tunnel and high-five PJ when they take the field. You pick what benefits are most important to you, and that's the Gopher Loyalty Program. So all season ticket holders have access to that. That's the largest differentiator, as well as some different pricing options on single-game tickets, some different things with parking you all get as well. So that's still the benefit of being a season ticket holder. You get the best value compared to everyone else, and that's been really strong for us. I mean, when you're coming off a year like like Coach and the team had, you bring the axe home, you win a bowl game, you go on the run they've had, uh, recruiting going extremely well, um, a lot of positivity when we talk about Gopher football. Okay, let's say there's an out-of-town person or someone might live in, in Fargo and a Gopher fan probably can't make it seven times. I know you have mini plans and eventually single-game opportunities as the summer moves on. Definitely. So all the mini plans are available right now and single games are right around the corner. And I think the other piece of that too, Mike, that, that I'll mention on season tickets is we just launched a brand new ticketing platform about two months ago um, with a lot more ticket account management features. We have a great integration with the secondary market that for that fan that might live in Fargo, you can have your season tickets, still get a very reduced discounted rate, but you realize you're only going to go to three or four games. Awesome. A couple of clicks of a button in your account, you can put those for sale in the secondary market and, and make some money back. You don't need to worry about it and still get all those benefits of being a full season ticket holder. But of course, if that doesn't work for you, we've got mini plans as well, where you can pick two, three, four, five games, pick exactly what you want, customize the games that work for you. You want to be at the home opener. You want to come see Wisconsin. And then also you want to be there for homecoming. Awesome. We've got a great flexible mini plan that you can build uh, to make the things work for you. If people want to do that, how do they do that? As 
easy as possible. Uh, 1-800-YOU-GOPHER uh, or gophersports.com. Uh, your hub, all the information right there. Easiest place to start with usually gophersports.com. Get all the information, do a little shopping, see what's of interest to you, and can make your purchases there. All right, very good. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. That's Golden Gopher Assistant Director of Marketing, Mike Weirs-Bicky, with Eminem Sports Director, Mike Grimm. The website for more information is gophersports.com. That's going to do it for this week. Thank you for listening. Please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.